0: Hello, 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 Salt Company. Thank you so much. All the kind words, the yippin'. Hopefully tonight's not about me. Uh, but uh, no, if we haven't met yet, my name is Jacob Abbas. I am on staff here at Veritas as a resident uh, with Salt Company, along with Caleb. Uh, I do say y'all. He went to Texas. I don't know how to say y'all. I just do it. I don't know exactly why. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited to be here, guys. I'm glad to be in Cedar Rapids. Um, I do consider myself privileged. Uh, I get a front row seeing what God is doing in all of your lives, uh, I get to grow myself. It's just a really a big opportunity. I think it's awesome. Uh, a little about myself. Uh, I went to school uh, and went to Salt at UNI up in Cedar Falls. So the the Salt atmosphere isn't new to me. Uh, I love Salt. I love Jesus. I love disc golf, yeah. Uh, yeah. and I love yeah. the Steelers. Oh. Damn. Uh, and I'll talk about those things uh, probably more than I should, uh, but above all of those things, other than Jesus, um, I love my wife. She is here tonight. She's amazing. Uh, we just got married actually at the beginning of June, so it's pretty fresh, a little over a month, which means I know everything about being a good husband. Um, you can ask her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She loves me. She puts up with a lot, if you can imagine. Um, so I hope you get the chance to meet her. She's pretty great. Uh, but that's enough sort of about my background. You'll all get to know me over the course of the next year or so. Uh, but guys, I've loved Cedar Rapids so far. There's just a lot more to do than in Cedar Falls. The, the food's a lot more like, diverse and exciting. I tend to be a picky eater, but I've already eaten at not one, but two Mexican restaurants uh, and inspired me to make my own quesadillas. So uh, <clears throat> now there's, there's nature trails, there's go-karts, Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah. I'm all about that. It's a five-minute drive. Uh, one thing I got to do is actually, as I was moving in, uh, was to play a disc golf tournament up in Urbana at Wildcat Bluff. But beautiful course, beautiful day. Uh, my buddy Matt uh, from Cedar Falls came down because it's a best shot doubles tournament. We had so much fun. Good day, like good crew. We had caddies, which you don't normally see. It was kind of lame, but it was awesome. Um, so we get through the first like 15 holes, uh, and we're leading the tournament. Like we had the best scores out of anybody in the tournament. It was like, it was going perfect. It was like just how I had seen on my vision board. It was awesome. Um, but things kind of turned through the end of the round. We, we got some pars, picked up a couple bogeys. All of a sudden, we're like middle of the pack. And I was, I was fuming. I was so upset. I was angry and it started to ruin my day. I was in my head. I'm thinking about scores and what would happen if I miss. I wasn't even focusing on what the next shot was. Uh, I, I just, it just got worse as the second round went on. Now, for something like disc golf, I should be able to just kind of you know, laugh it off. Be like, ah, it's just a sport. Like, I'm here for fun. It's all right. I'll get it next time. Woo! Uh, but I couldn't. Like, I couldn't stand that I was playing so poorly. Like, I couldn't focus on anything about but how poorly I had been playing. Now, it might sound kind of silly to you if you've never even heard of a disc golf tournament. Um, but what was happening to me in that tournament is what so many of us do in our own lives. I started to find joy and my identity, what I'm about, who I am, in disc golf. I mean, I love disc golf. I do my best to improve, to succeed. But in this moment, I put disc golf in a place that it wasn't meant to be. And because of that, when things started to turn from my expectations, I lost my joy, and I got frustrated. See, we all have things that, if we're honest with ourselves, we have put on too high of a pedestal. And I found part of our identity in those things. Maybe for you, it's that job that you want so badly that you're willing to step on somebody else just to get there. Maybe it's that guy or that girl that you like so much that you're willing to ignore advice from friends and family and break those relationships just so that things can stay the same. Maybe you care so much about how people see you and this person you've become that sometimes you don't even know who you are anymore. Guys, we have an identity problem. We as a culture have lost sight of who we are and what we're here to do. And if something doesn't change soon, you're going to pursue whatever it is that you put your identity in and be left unsatisfied and empty. We all know that feeling. The feeling of anxiety that comes when a big assignment is due, and we don't know what we would do if we don't get that A. The, the feeling of frustration or sadness, when identity has been placed in our appearance. And the mirror just doesn't look quite how we wanted. And as we look back, we realize that it never really has. You see, these things that we so often place our identity in change so frequently. If your identity is in your finances and the comfort that that provides, but you have a house fire or your car breaks down, what do you have? If your identity is in your athletics, but you get injured and you don't know if you're going to get to play again, what do you have? Guys, these things we've, are, we, we've attached ourselves to for comfort and security are like building a house on sand. Eventually, it will give out from under you, and you'll be left with nothing but pieces. So if we can't put our identity in things like jobs, schools, relationships, those types of things, where can we find our identity? Who am I? What, what am I here for? And now to catch you real quick, maybe some of you are thinking, Jesus, and you've already checked out, got that one marked but how are we actually doing that? How do we actually give our lives to Jesus and find identity in him? Well, tonight, Paul, the author of the Philippians, which is the book that we've been going through this summer, is giving us the answer to this. And what I want you to ask yourselves as we break down scripture tonight is this, what am I putting my identity in now and is that what it should be in? What am I putting my identity in now and is that what it should be in? So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Philippians 3. That is where we'll be camping out. Philippians, uh, it's found in the New Testament, last quarter of your Bible. Uh, If you need help finding it, uh, Philippians 3 is where we will be. So this passage breaks down uh, into three sections. We'll analyze them kind of separately and bring them together to show a whole picture at what Paul is trying to get across to us. Uh, So the first message in the first three verses. Verse 1. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There could be an entire endless series of sermons based on this one phrase Rejoice in the Lord. Sometimes, as Christians, we kind of overcomplicate what living like a Christian looks like and forget to simply acknowledge that there's a God that loves you, sees you, and created each and every one of us and has given us something to rejoice in. We weren't designed to see God as this cold, judging lawmaker, but rather a loving father. The entire letter that Paul is writing here is for what purpose? Joy. Finding our joy in the only thing that can actually sustain it, and that is our God. The God we serve hand made us out of the dust and breathe the breath of life into us like a father with a newborn baby. If your view of God is some big guy up in the clouds with a gavel, maybe like wearing a a wig and shaking his head at you when you mess up, you don't know the God of the Bible, the one true God. God loves us enough that he gave his one and only son to die for us. And and there's a reason that Paul's to keep reminding the Philippians and us to rejoice in the Lord. The rest of verse 1 says, to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Paul knows just how easy it is for people like the Philippians and people like us to forget to rejoice in the Lord and rejoice in other things. We start to see God like that homework that we know we probably should do, we don't really want to do. You kind of shove it off to the side, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, So the question is, what does it look like to rejoice in the Lord? Uh, Maybe a better question just to start off is, what does it look like to rejoice in anything? Well, as I said earlier, I love the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, my dad's been a fan for about 45 years. I follow right in his footsteps. Uh, and the first memory that I distinctly remember being a Steelers fan, 2009. Sorry if, sorry if there's any Cardinals fans in the room. But Super Bowl 43, Steelers, Cardinals, Kurt Warner, I guy. I remember I was wearing an Iowa jersey because at the time I thought they were the same team. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm in the living room, my aunt and uncle's place, so we got the game on, there's like this tension, some people wanted the Cardinals to win because Kurt Warner played at UNI, my family's had season tickets for forever, and then I do not know who he was, so I'm just cheering for the Steelers, or Hawkeyes, I guess, um, and, and then I just remember that last minute of the game, that, you know, the pass, Antonio Holmes, end zone, the catch, the toe tap, the signal, the chaotic celebration that I had, legendary. I mean, I'm taking bottles of water and dumping it on myself and screaming, running around the house and throwing stuff. Like, the only way to describe my reaction to that game was joy. I was excited, I was happy, and I responded by rejoicing in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Rejoicing literally means to show great joy or delight. Now, I rejoice in the Steelers by celebrating and dumping water on myself. Uh, I rejoice in the Lord by obeying Him, spending time with Him, and sharing His joy with the people around me. See, the reality is most of us have a much easier time rejoicing in achievements, in sports, success, and relationships than in our Heavenly Father. It's easy for us to be bought in and excited for the things of this world and the things that we are doing, but we forget the greatest command to love the Lord with all of our hearts, minds, and souls. Guys, what would it look like if we responded to God like we respond to our favorite team succeeding or getting that job we wanted? What if we were excited to tell people that we have a heavenly Father who created us, pursued us, saved us, redeemed us, and reconciled us back to Him by sending His Son to die for us? The Lord is worth rejoicing in. Let's keep moving. Verse 2. Sorry, first time. <laughs> Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. All right, who are the dogs? Who are these, these evil workers? I mean, mutilating the flesh is some pretty aggressive language. Uh, well, the word that is used here in the Greek uh, for dog is kuon. So kuon means dog or impure mind, man of impure mind. Now, it was common in this time for the Jews or God's you know, people, people who knew the law to call the Gentiles or all other people who didn't have the law dogs or kuon. Now, and this wasn't necessarily a compliment. It's not like when I come up to Jex and I'm like, yo, what's up, dog, or like, talking to Ben. He's got that dog in him, man. Like, no, it wasn't that <laughs> at all. It's not that. <laughs> the calling them dogs was addressing these people as impure and separated people. So, so the dogs are people who don't acknowledge or believe in God who are passionately living uh, in their sin? People who don't know God. So the Gentiles uh, are the dogs. Who are the evil workers? Well, evil workers were, you know, to put it simply, false teachers. These false teachers—they were people uh, that might have like known God. They, they knew the law of God, but they didn't know the heart of God and didn't keep a pure mind. They would suppress and twist the truth in Scripture. They'd tell lies and slip things in. They'd seek their own glory, make themselves look great. uh, And ultimately, they pointed people away from the truth about God. They manipulated, damaged, and mutilated God's design for man. They caused damage to the people of Christ and to all people who heard their teaching. So the warning to the Philippians in this section is to steer clear of these two types of people. Why? Why should they avoid these types of people? Because we, meaning the church are the circumcision, meaning the set-apart people of God, the people of God, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. The Philippian church is following Jesus or trying to, and Paul's goal for them is to rejoice in the Lord and follow Jesus, not other people or influences. Remain in unity with God. Don't be blind to the people who don't know the Lord and are trying to pull you away and watch for those who are going to twist what you know and take your focus off of Christ. Psalm 1, uh, verse 1 says this. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers? Paul's saying, hey, Philippians, I want you to find your greatest joy in Jesus and if you're spending time with wicked people, you aren't gonna make it very far. So, where do we see this today? So, in the context that Paul's writing, you know, it's 2,000 some years ago. And yes, this letter is written to them, but it's also for us. So, who are the dogs? Who are the evil workers that we see today? Paul's warning seems to be pretty universal. It doesn't matter if it's 2,000 years ago or today, if we believe in Jesus, our best friends or the people that we frequently find ourselves with shouldn't be distractions from Jesus. While you might not have some super evil friends, like I'm pretty sure your best friend isn't a serial killer, uh, you probably have close friends who encourage sin in your life. You probably have friends who don't know Jesus, or maybe they even do, and they constantly gossip about other people. Kind of makes you want to. Or we probably have that friend that says, oh, come on, you gotta watch that party, like every week. It might even be your family, the people closest to you, like your parents who encourage you to move in with that boyfriend or girlfriend because it makes the most sense financially even though that creates an environment that's almost impossible to not have premarital sex or what about the guy who says he's a christian but he doesn't respect your boundaries plays with your emotions and doesn't follow jesus on his own now i'm not saying and paul's not saying you can't be with those people they need jesus too but if you're taking your advice from them and if those are the people that are shaping your life man, you're gonna get distracted from the truth. So this is the first section from Paul. Don't let external temptations distract you from rejoicing in the Lord. Don't let external temptations distract you from rejoicing in the Lord. What we rejoice in is ultimately who we are. If I rejoice in the Steelers, I'm a Steelers fan. If I rejoice in disc golf, I'm an athlete. That's, That's kind of who I am. If I rejoice in the Lord, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's my identity. That's who I am. The people around us will throw a ton of distractions at us, whether intentional or not. But even if other people don't, we find and invent ways to distract ourselves. That's the second section that Paul shares with us. So if the first section is to not let external temptations distract us from rejoicing in the Lord, the second is similar. Don't let internal temptations distract you from rejoicing in the Lord. We see that starting in verse 4. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law of Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Guys, I'm gonna make it very, very clear what Paul is trying to say here get over yourself. You aren't the big deal. This life isn't about you and you're trying to take the spotlight. We want it so bad. I want it. I want to be the big deal, but I'm not. You're not. Paul isn't trying to brag and show off his resume for how amazing he is. He's letting you know that if you think you've done enough in this life to prove yourself or justify yourself, he has done more and he has done it better. This isn't meant to make himself look great, but to help you and I humble ourselves and see what is actually important. Paul was born in a set-apart, pure bloodline, God's people. He knew the law inside and out, left to right, forward and backwards, and loved the law so much that he was literally having Christians killed to uphold what he believed. Paul was what the world today could call a golden boy. He was successful, doing well, nothing more needed. You know, maybe, maybe that's relatable to some of you. Maybe you're, you're sitting out there. You, you've done all the things, right? You're like, you've done what culture tells you is right and good. You've excelled. You've worked hard on what the world says is important. Guys, I relate to this. I grew up in a Christian home. I got good grades. I stayed out of trouble. I was involved in everything. I did swine judging, two time All-Stater, scholarship to you and I, excelled in fine arts, scholarship offers for football. Coming out of high school, it looked like I had everything going for me. I had it figured out, right? Now, while those are gifts and can be good things, I made them God things. And who I was was constantly changing based on who I was around, what activity I was doing, and if I was doing good enough. Guys, that's exhausting. It's exhausting to work so hard for something only to realize one day that you're chasing your own tail and you've lost who you are. Some of you might be asking the question in your head, well, how do I know if I'm finding identity in something? You know, like how much attention is too much attention? Well, Dalton Schaefer, he's a worship leader up in Cedar Falls. He led a small group um, I was in. He gave me uh, this this imagery. He said, imagine you're watching your life from a third person perspective. How many people in here have seen The Truman Show with Jim Carrey? Yes. Yes. Great movie. Uh, For those of you who haven't seen it, um, the Truman Show uh, is about this guy named Truman, uh, and basically his I- entire life is a simulation. Uh, from the time he was born until he was a fallen adult, he's been on camera as a, as a TV show for people to watch in the real world, and he had no idea. Anyone else ever wondered if that was you? I know I have. Yeah, Nicole. <laughs> um, it's a simulation. The birds are fake. They're cameras. Anyway, uh, so a- anyone watching the show would see everything he did. Don't think too hard about that. Uh, And so, in other words, the audience had a third-person perspective, could see what he ate, what he enjoyed, and what he prioritized doing. So now flip it back to you. If someone was going to watch your life from a third-person perspective, what would they say is on the throne of your life? What do you spend your time doing? What do you watch? Who do you associate with? What is your priority? Is it Jesus? Or is it your hobbies, athletics, school, work pursuits, relationships? What does your life reflect? If someone saw every choice that you made without knowing your thought process to justify it, what would they say is the most important thing in your life? Salt Company, Matthew 6 24 tells us this No one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this verse uses the example of money, but it represents anything that is competing for the throne of your life. You can't be half in and half out. You can't serve two different masters. You can't serve Jesus on Thursdays and Sundays and serve your academics the rest of the week. You can't serve Jesus and athletics. You can't serve Jesus and the sex you want to have. Now, all of this might have you asking the question, why does Jesus deserve the throne? Or maybe, who is Jesus? Why is he worth more than these other things in my life? And guys, the reason is this. There is a God that loves you. There's a God who loves you. He created you, each and every one of you. He knows every single hair on your head before you were born. And after getting married, I'm realizing, women, you have a lot of hair. Like, like, I can't even count the ones in the shower. And yet he knows every single one on your entire head. He knows you. He intimately knows you. And he delights in you. And because he loves you, he gave you these guidelines for how to live an abundant life that's focused and committed to him. How you can, can honor him and, and find joy and build up other people and we said no. You said no. I said no. We passionately say no. God, my way is better. I know what's right. I know what's good. This, this feels okay. This is what everyone else is doing, so I'm going to do it too. We go outside the guidelines that he set for us, we, and that's called sin. Sin separates us from God. Romans three twenty three says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The standard to get into heaven is perfection, and none of us even come close. And, and what's the punishment for that? What's the weight? What's the, what's the point? Yeah, we sin. Like we're not perfect people. Romans six twenty three tells us, for the wages of sin is death. Guys, we have a problem. We've all seen the goodness of God in some way, whether we want to admit it or not, and all of us have fallen short of what he says is right. And because of that, we're choosing to walk away from God and receive the punishment that is eternity spent in hell separated from him. Not because God is cruel, but because we're saying, we don't want your way. And that's the alternative. But God didn't let the story end there. Romans 6.23 ends after saying, for the wages of sin is death. It says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen? While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Not after we fixed ourselves up, not after we did enough to earn something, but while we were living in our sin, Jesus came, lived the life that you and I were supposed to but couldn't. Died the death and paid the punishment that we earned and deserved. He took that away. He took our debt. He nailed it to the cross. And he died for you. Just to open the door so you can have eternity spent with him in heaven. He doesn't want anything from you but you. He just wants you to believe. We have nothing to offer to God, and yet he gave everything to save us from our punishment, just so we could open the door. When you properly understand the weight of our sin and the death you and I deserve, and then understand that Jesus has freed you from that, man, any other pursuit or goal seems so insignificant. And that's exactly what Paul expresses in the third section of our text, starting in verse 7. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be lost because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ. Guys, there's going to be a day where just like Paul, you see all of these things you've made your priority, all these things you have pursued and realize it was worthless. Not because they were bad things, not because he didn't do them well. In fact, you're probably great at them. But because you see that a life devoted to serving Jesus who died for you is infinitely greater. When you understand the value of knowing Jesus like Paul does here in verse eight, you'll respond like he does. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ. Paul models that you can't have both. You can't keep your current identity and throw Jesus on top. He is worth giving up everything to pursue. Suffer through the loss of your pursuit so you may gain Christ. Suffer through the pain of letting go of your control for your future so you can see Christ more clearly. Now, if you're hearing all this tonight and you're thinking something to the effect of, you know, man, I've I've been so focused on school or academics, my relationship with such and such. I've missed out on following Jesus. My priorities are mixed up and I need to change. I, I want you to feel that just as I do. But if your response then is, I better work really hard to be a better person or I need to start following all these rules. You're totally missing the point. It's a great desire that God gave to us to work, but this is the one area that God has gone ahead and done all of the work for us. Soul Company, I'm preaching to myself right now. For the last couple of weeks, I've been doing everything I can to make sure the sermon was exactly how I wanted it. I wanted to, to bro, blow the roof off of this place. I wanted it to be amazing. And I realized I was going back to old habits. I was starting to get frustrated and I felt like I wasn't doing quite good enough. I started to find my worth and my identity in, in my performance as a writer and a preacher. Guys, the word of God is powerful enough. Sure, I'd like to believe that I can provide clarity for some of you, but if I had just gone up here and read the text and said amen, God could use that. He doesn't need me. It's not about me, and I was getting in the way. Guys, God doesn't expect everything from you. He just wants all of you. Verse nine, my goal is to know him, meaning Jesus. Sorry. Sorry. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. My goal is to know him. Guys, I, I want to spend time studying the word of God. I want, I personally, I want to know the character and the life of the one who saved me. And I want to be devoted to learning about him for the rest of my life. The power of his resurrection, the power that Jesus had, not just to die a painful, torturous death, but the power to defeat sin and death for all time, past or present, and be raised from the dead. The power to take away all the sin from the world, all past sin, present sin, and sin to come was taken by Jesus on that cross. The fellowship of his sufferings. I want to I I suffer the loss of all things like Paul and like Jesus. I want to clear the throne. I want to get rid of and avoid any and all distractions, being conformed to his death, dying to my old self, dying to my sinful self, the me that separated me from God, dying to my comfort, dying to all of these things that have got me where I'm at killing off the rotten and sinful form of myself. For what purpose? Assuming that I will somehow, somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead, somehow by God's grace and by Jesus' sacrifice, I can be born again and gain the righteousness of Jesus that is based on faith and have new eternal life in Christ. Guys, the goal isn't to be God. It isn't to be Jesus and be perfect. He already is and was. Our goal isn't to work really hard or improve ourselves. And we don't need to fix ourselves up in order to be saved or right with God. That effort is what got us here. We have no power to earn our way. We can work as hard as we can ever imagine and obey every command of the entire Bible for the rest of our lives, which is impossible. And we still wouldn't be worthy to enter heaven. God has a standard to get in, and that standard is perfection. On our own efforts, on our own merit, we don't even come close. We have absolutely nothing to offer within us. The reason we have access to heaven is because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. He took away our our sin, took it upon himself, and on top of that, clothed us with his righteousness. Our only goal is to know Jesus, be found in him, and in doing so, we receive eternal life, not because of any good we have done because of the work that Jesus already did for, for us. All we have to do is believe and receive. So we have our three sections. Section one, don't let external temptations distract you from rejoicing in the Lord. Section two, don't let internal distractions, temptations distract you from rejoicing in the Lord. And third, know and follow Jesus to inherit eternal life. Know and follow Jesus to inherit eternal life. So how does this all come together? What, what am I trying to say? What is Paul trying to convince the Philippians of? What is he trying to convince us of? The answer is this: an identity rooted in Christ is more valuable than any passion, pursuit, or pleasure. I'll say it again. An identity rooted in Christ is more valuable than any passion, pursuit, or pleasure. Avoid the temptations to get distracted from rejoicing in the Lord so you can find your identity in Christ alone. That's the message. Surrender your pursuits that are unfulfilling and leave you empty. And respond to the call to know Jesus and rely on him alone to satisfy you. How do we do that? Well, has anybody uh, ever gone to an event for the totally wrong reason? Like any guys coming here just to meet a girlfriend? Hey, I found my wife at Salt Company. It's not a bad strategy. Just throwing that out there. Salt plug. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I, I don't really care why you came. I'm glad you're here. I care about why you stay. You know, all those things. But Anyway, uh, well, when I was like four or five uh, <laughs> when I was like four or five, my high school football team was playing for the state championship. I didn't know what the word "championship" meant. Uh, what I knew was that football games meant playing football with my friends. I lived for two-hand-touch football, and that normally ended with several concussions, bleeding knees and a stern talking to from the principal. Uh, so we get to the state championship game. I got there, and I found out that it was at the dome at UNI, which was amazing. Uh, But I quickly realized that there's not a hill or a field to play on. Uh, And I was upset. Like, that's what I was there to do. I didn't care about the actual game. I don't know the players. I just want to play my game. Like, this is lame. And, like, as much as it sounds, like, kind of fun, not really, like, I don't really want to moss my buddy Sam and then go rolling down the cement stairs. Like, that's not happening. Uh, And so we realized that you could actually get a stamp and, like, leave the dome and you can come back in for free and parents don't have to come and get you. Uh, so we went outside. After the game started, uh, after the kickoff, you know, we, were, we were courteous. We watched the kickoff, the national anthem. Uh, we went right outside, started playing football. There's no one out there. They might have been at the game or something. I don't know. Uh, we could play rough. We could tackle whatever we wanted. We had free reign over this, this area outside the dome. You know, every once in a while, we'd hear these like, loud cheers. We'd go pretend to care. We'd peek in the window. What's going on? You know? And we'd go back to our game. In the moment, it was like, we're living our best life. This is what we want to do. See, I was there for the wrong reason. Uh, Then people started flooding out of the stadium. We realized the game was already over. My parents came up to me, and they were red. One, because of face paint, Uh, but two, because they were pretty upset with me. You know, Jacob, we just won the state championship. Where were you? We came here for the game, and you were nowhere to be found. You missed out. Now, we haven't been back to the Dome since then. I will most likely not get the chance to watch my school win the state championship ever again. I missed my chance because I didn't realize the weight of what was happening right in front of me and I was focused on my own desires. Guys, don't be like little me. There's something so much bigger than our own interests and pursuits happening right in front of us. Don't let tonight be like that game was for me. If you're just checking this out for the first time, if you you don't know what everything is about, don't get distracted by everything. Just understand this. Jesus came to the earth and lived and died to free you from the sins that you have committed and is inviting you to trust in him. He's already won the championship. For you, a step you can take tonight is to repent and believe. That means to acknowledge you've sinned against a perfect God and deserve his wrath, but he sent Jesus to die for you, and you are freed from that punishment and are now receiving eternal life through faith. If that's you, find me. Find a student leader, someone on staff. Like We'd love to have that conversation with you and pray for you. Just don't wait. Have the conversation before you leave. There's just so much more to life than what's right in front of you. And the reality is this. This is for all of us. There's one day that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So will you kneel now or on the day that Jesus comes back and it's too late? Maybe you're you're outside looking in or distracted by your own game. Maybe you've heard all this before, but like me, you were outside the stadium and you'd hear people cheer, like get excited about Jesus, you know, but you kept doing what you were doing. Maybe you've heard the gospel for your entire life, but you've never accepted the invitation to trust in Jesus and pursue him with your whole life. Don't let tonight be another time you hear the gospel and fail to respond accordingly. Don't keep playing your own game. Because Jesus is coming back. Those who have put their trust in Jesus will have eternal life with him. And those who have not trusted in Jesus will continue to walk down the path they chose to separate themselves from God and hell. And on that day that Jesus comes back, each and every one of us will face one of those two places. Either we continue to live the life that we want, focus on our own pursuits, ignore Jesus, and end up just like I was. Seeing my dad and feeling the guilt and shame because I ignored what was important or we radically change our lives and trust and follow Jesus, no matter the cost, because we understand that he gave everything for us when we didn't deserve anything. The reality is when you see what's truly important, everything else seems silly. It's easy to see a little boy who just wants to play football with his friends and call him silly for missing out on the state championship. But it is just as silly to hear that Jesus died to free you from sin, and all you have to do is trust and follow him and you keep pursuing the same things you were before. Lay down your idols and follow Jesus. If you need to make it practical, find somebody to read the Bible with. Anybody that's trusted, a family friend, a family member, someone who knows the Lord is maybe further along with you, read the Bible and ask God to reveal himself to you. And just pray for that. And for the believers in the room. If you've been confronted with what Paul is trying to tell us and, and God has put something on your heart that you've given too much of your life to or someone you've just given too much attention to, turn to Jesus. The goal is to know Jesus, to understand the life and death he went, f- went through for you and give your life to him as he did for you. Surrender your pursuits. Surrender your idols. Clear the throne so that Jesus can take his rightful place. Then seek to know and understand him. God loves you. He has a plan for you. It doesn't require anything from you other than your heart. Your identity is solely in Christ. He is your security. Look to him and rejoice. If you need any more practical steps, how how do I become saved? Or if you don't know what it looks like to give your your whole life to Jesus or to eliminate idols in your life, talk to someone. Just talk to your connection group leader, someone beside you, a staff member. Whatever it is, just have that conversation before you head out. And the Salt Company, please, just don't let tonight be another time that you hear the cheers and keep doing the same thing. It's halftime of the game, and you have the opportunity to see Jesus' victory and be welcomed in to celebration of eternal life spent with him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the sacrifice you made. Thank you for creating us. Thank you for your word that can reveal things in our lives. Thank you for seeing sinners and reaching out in love and sending your son to take the punishment for us. God, as we leave, just help us to identify the things we've given too much attention to in our lives, the things we've made idols and put before you, things that are competing with Jesus, and help us to eliminate those things. Help us to be your people who know and love you and know how to rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen.